You're listening to the Team Stripes Podcast, the podcast for hockey referees. Each show, we discuss the world of officiating and find out that not everything is in black and white. Here's your host, Brandon Bourgeois. So uh, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Team Stripes Podcast. You're listening to episode number 34. And on this episode, we have a very accomplished uh, female official. Her name's Jess Claire, and she hails from the great state of Maine in New England in the U.S. And before we get going, I'll give a little introduction on Jess. She uh, has, like I said, quite the accomplished resume. She was actually an official in the recent Olympics in South Korea, the only American linesman to be there. Uh, but along the way, she's also worked uh, a couple U18 tournaments, a Women's World Tournament, and she is currently the referee-in-chief uh, for the Maine Amateur Hockey Association. And she also currently works in the North American Hockey League and NCAA Division Three. So, uh, Jess, how do we do with that uh, with that introduction? Well, that sounds that sounds pretty good. It sounds pretty busy on, on my books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, you have, like you said, you have quite the accomplished resume. But before we get going, I mean, just tell the listeners how you got started with officiating. What's uh, what's the story? Uh, well, when I was younger, uh, we used to run the time clock at the rink for a whole five dollars a game, and my dad used to ref. And so one year, I decided that I'd make the jump and uh, start officiating. So it's been this is actually my twentieth season on the ice. So started quite young. Uh, doing games with dad and, and I've just kept it up ever since. And after I graduated college, I decided that it was more than just, uh, go out there and make a couple bucks to make ends meet and decided to take it a little bit more seriously. And so it's pretty cool because you come from a playing background, correct? Like you played some pretty high levels of hockey along the way. Yeah, you know, I I always thought that I'd make it, you know, as a hockey player, and most of us do. Uh, so I I played some some college hockey, Division three out at Utica. Uh, had a great time, um, but once that was over, it was it was time to switch gears. And so, what what was kind of the draw to you to get on the officiating side? You mentioned you had the, a bit of a family background. Uh, you, you know, you were at the rink as a, as a kid, but I mean, like, what was the what was the big appeal uh, to become an official for you? Uh, well, it was a lot of it was you know spending time with dad, but then the other piece of it afterwards was it was a way to stay in the game. Uh, right now, I, I don't play anymore, um, so being part of a game and also there's a competitive side that you don't ever lose, um, and so it's a way to be competitive. You know, I, every year we compete as officials to get those those big assignments or those big games. Um, so it's just a really a way to do that through a sport that I absolutely love and is a big part of my life. Yeah. So talk us through, I mean, you, 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 you know, you said you've been in officiating for like 20 seasons. You made it to the Olympics uh, this past season. I mean, talk about your progression as an official. I mean, like starting out and, you know, moving along with your career. I mean, give us an idea of how your career sort of progressed. Uh, well, you know, the first, uh, let's see, maybe 10, 12 years really were just doing local youth games, doing men's league uh, doing those things, just kind of learning the ropes. Um, like I said, once I got out of college, I had more time to commit to it. And so a lot of it was really through the USA Hockey Development Program, where uh, you go to a development camp and you you work hard, you learn a lot, um, you get opportunities to skate, uh, you know, a youth national tournament. And for me, it was all about being at the right place at the right time and doing the right things. Um, so from there, I got opportunities to skate uh, a, a lot of different national tournaments, um, but also to go to a camp and, 
get licensed internationally. And uh, my international career has been pretty quick. Um, I, was, I was fortunate in the sense that I've, I've made it to the Olympics in a short period of time in terms of the international stuff. Uh, but it was uh, the U18, the first U18 tournament in Buffalo. I got a call uh, beginning of December uh, that they needed a linesman to skate that tournament, which was right at the beginning of January. And um, I was able to go and did did well enough for them to say, all right, you can come back next year. So that progression was, was quite rapid um, and then worked a couple more world championships and then uh, eventually got fortunate to go to the Olympics. So uh, in terms of my international progression, that was quick. Uh, but like I said, 20 years is a long time to be on the ice and, and learning the ropes and uh, getting your feet wet and and, and really doing things the, the slow way, which is, you know, 20 years later, you get to do the pinnacle of your career, which is the Olympics. And it's funny because I know in a previous interview, you were talking about how, you know, generally with, with the international scene, I guess, usually, you know, you kind of have to go through through sort of an odd path, I guess, to get to the top levels, you know, you got to start doing the, the lower division stuff in Turkey and whatnot. I mean, is, yeah. that, is that sort of the route that you were you were envisioning having to go through before, you know, getting thrown in the fire, so to speak? Oh, absolutely. You know, every time you, you talk about international uh, hockey and you, you get your international license, the first thing you think of is, oh, sweet, I get to travel and do hockey. This is going to be great. I get to go overseas, um, you know. I've been overseas a few times now, but my international career didn't start off with those those going to those countries that you know you didn't even know had ice hockey and <laughs> and like yeah absolutely the international career is normally you know you eight years before you get to make it to the Olympics. Um, the timing of it is what it is. Um, you know my international assignments all came uh, within North America. So, and, and not necessarily the best places to go at the beginning of January for the U18s, which was Buffalo and St. Catharines. Um, it's it's quite cold there. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I've been able to travel the last last couple of years uh, internationally, so that's been a lot of fun. But, yeah, tr- not the traditional route or not the, not the route that I ever would have imagined uh, me taking. I, you know, when I was starting out sort of the development piece, my goal was really – let's, you know, let's get licensed. Wouldn't it be great if you were licensed internationally? Uh, once I got my license, then it was like, all right, if I can get a tournament, wouldn't that be great? Um, and and that, that has kind of progressed since then. Yeah, and I mean, you've, you have definitely progressed. I mean, getting to basically <laughs> reach the highest level that you can, I mean, on the international stage. But even coming back to like those, the, that first international experience in, in Buffalo, I mean, like, What's going through your head when you step on the ice? I mean, where, where was it like a sense of shock? What, were you just prepared for it? I mean, walk us through sort of what, what you were feeling going to that first international uh, tournament, I guess. Uh, I, my first international game uh, in Buffalo, I, I, my hands were shaking the whole first period. Uh, <laughs> I was so nervous because I knew that I was at an A-pool tournament with other officials who had done a multitude of tournaments, and this was my first time. Uh, so I don't think I've ever been more nervous in my life for any other game other than that very first international tournament. Um, you know, even even now looking back at some of the tournaments I've done, it's still it's still kind of surreal. Like you know that I was there and I did those things, um, but that that first tournament. I just remember thinking, I, this is uh, this is above where I'm at. Uh, obviously, I 
I rose to the occasion, as they say, and, and did fine for the tournament. But I, I just remember being on the ice for that first game, and my linesman partner had just uh, come from doing the Olympics in Sochi, and the referee was another international official who had done multiple uh, tournaments. So it was it was quite nerve-wracking. Yeah, and like you mentioned, your your international career, I guess, was pretty quick in the way it sort of developed. I mean, one year you're skating, you know, in Buffalo doing the the U18s here, and then two years later you're doing the Olympics. I mean, like what transpired in those two years to allow you to allow you to really move up the ranks so quickly? Well, like I said, a part of it uh, with that with international hockey and, and and any other hockey is is just making sure you're prepared for every single event and opportunity that you have so that you do perform at the level they want you to. Uh, so after that first tournament in 2015, uh, you know they 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 wanted they invited me to do the six the uh, 2016 up in uh, St. Catharines for the U18s again and and for me that was a really big turning point in terms of you know what. I do fit in here. This is the, this is where I need to be. And then what can I do in between those tournaments? Because those tournaments are once a year. Uh, so, uh, I really took to my off ice training, my on ice training, uh, really focusing in on what was it that I needed to do to get to the invite for the world championships. Um, so it, it really has been, uh, you know, since 2015, it really has been a lot of, dedication in the off season but also during the season and making sure that I'm working uh higher level games so that it prepares me for the international games because when you get to the women's world championships you've got the top you know eight teams eight women's teams in the country or in the world I mean and so the there's no other way to prepare for that it's not like you can do a, a lot of you know, games here in the U.S. or anywhere, women's games, and have that same level of competition that you see at a world championship. Yeah, and like, I mean, talk us, you know, talk us through getting that phone call for the Olympics. I mean, is that is that a, is that a shock to you, or, or is it something you're prepared for going into that tournament? I mean, walk us through sort of uh, what what the experience was like for you. Uh, well, there's there's really no no way to prepare for it. Uh, there's really no no way to describe the, the actual phone call. So part of the Olympic uh, basically tryout piece, I guess, is getting the opportunity to go to uh, Switzerland in August for our pre-Olympic training camp. So at that point in October, we found out that we had, uh, if you were made the long list for the Olympics, which the expectation more or less was that if you were at camp, you were probably going to be on that long list. Uh, so that one, that wasn't too stressful. Uh, after that, we were told that by December 1st, we would find out whether we made the short list, so the, li- the list for the Olympics. And so we weren't told a date, um, so it made it a little bit stressful because what we were doing was trying to figure out, well, last Olympics, when did they find out? All right, well, they found out the day after Thanksgiving. So day after Thanksgiving came and went, and so it was like, all right, any day now we should find out if we're we're going or not going. Uh, we we got word from other officials in other countries that they had been told whether they made it or didn't make it, and so that uh, Tuesday morning was a was a bit of a, a stress you know case because we also didn't know whether we were going to get a phone call, we were going to get an email, uh, we didn't know if we were going to get called if we made it or didn't make it, um, and so. 
that that Tuesday morning in November, uh, you know, I kept refreshing my phone trying to figure out, well, did I miss an email? Is the email coming in? Talking to the other girls who were on that short list uh, here in the U.S. And, and uh, finally, I actually went home for lunch that day from work and my phone uh, started ringing and it was from Colorado Springs, which is where the USA Hockey National Office is. So, so I knew that it was Matt Leaf calling me. Uh, I didn't know whether he was calling me to tell me that I didn't make it or that he was calling me to tell me that I did. And, you know, I, I answered the phone and his comment was, how are you? And I'm like, I'm really not sure. Uh, <laughs> I, I wasn't sure if I needed to celebrate or, or be completely devastated. So uh, fortunately, he goes, well, you should be good. I'm calling to let you know that you're going to the Olympics. And, and so then was kind of a, a sigh of relief. Um, like I said, there's you don't realize how, how much dedication and emotion goes into uh, an opportunity and a, a trial like this. And um, and so that at that moment, it really I was I just sat there for a while and just really thought about the the emotions um, of going through it and being selected. Yeah, and like I mean, you know, certainly going into Olympics, it's not something where you can just show up the day before and expect to do well. I mean, there's certainly a lot of preparation that goes into it. I mean, how, did did getting ready for that Olympic uh, tournament did it change your routine at all? Because I mean, obviously you have to balance. You know what you do during the day with working the games that you currently do. I mean, talk about just the preparation for getting ready for that tournament. Well, my preparation really started uh, the beginning in June of last summer uh, when I found out that I was going to uh, the tri the Olympic trials. I uh, really focused in on on my fitness and all that stuff. So. I just continued that routine. I knew that I needed to, to go there and I needed to be in the best shape of my life. Um, and so really the biggest piece of it was uh, mentally preparing because the, the tournament wasn't until February. So when you find out well, it's the end of November, there's still a bunch of, of hockey to be done. And that was really the toughest part. The toughest part was really to focus in on every game that I had between finding out and going that, you know, I needed to focus and, and know that that game at that point was going to be the most important um, because it was it was really really easy to continue to think about, okay, in February I'm going to the Olympics, and this is what I've worked for. But uh, on a Friday or Saturday throughout the course of the season between, you know, December 1st and, and February, I really needed to kind of take a step back every day and say, okay, I need to focus. I've got this game tonight and, and go out there and, and skate a good game. And, you know, talk us through, I mean, you let, you, you show up to South Korea, you're ready to work at the Olympics. I mean, talk about just how do you balance, you know, the, the, the fact that you have to be prepared to work versus the fact that, you know, you want to kind of absorb that memory and, and do things at the Olympic Pavilion. I mean, like, is there a balancing act with that at all? Um, yeah, there, there was, uh, it, it really wasn't, uh, it was one of those things where we were there and it was like, you know, are we, are we here? Is this real? Is this surreal? Is this a real experience? Uh, and part of it too, that they really, you know, wanted us to do was to take in everything we could at the Olympic experience. Um, and so fortunately for us, uh, we only, we only had, um, two games, women's hockey games a day. Uh, so some days we weren't working, some days we were just on standby, um, other days we were working. So 
the amount of games that we had to commit was wasn't significant in terms of time. So we had the opportunities to, you know, spend the morning going and exploring the Olympic Village and and doing those types of things to really be able to take it in. So it made it the schedule made it so that we were able to on game days really focus in on what we needed to do and why we were there. And were you allowed to sneak into the American uh, the American uh, camp at all, or was that off limits? <laughs> Uh, well, we were able to, on the very last day that we were there, we were able to go to the U.S. house, uh, which was a really cool experience because it was the day we went on a day, uh, the day after the U.S. women's team won gold. And so they were there um, and they were the U.S. was celebrating their their gold medal, along with uh, Lindsey Vaughn and the two um, U.S. women's cross country skiers who won gold as well. So that part was was cool. During the entire Olympics, you know, we had to be neutral. We we had no country identity. Right. So that part was was kind of interesting. Um, we had an identity in terms of we couldn't officiate our own country. And when they did say, you know, where the officials were from, we had a we had a country. But in terms of being able to to cheer on the U.S. and support our country, we we had to you know pretend like we didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> which must be tough i guess but uh it's, it's all part of the job i suppose that's the trade-off but, yeah uh, uh just talk us through i mean getting on the ice for those olympic games because arguably that's you know one of the biggest um you know most well-known events in the world i mean just talking about scale and the reach of the audience that's going to be watching those games i mean just talk us through hopping on the ice i mean do you have any special memories of, of being on the ice for those games Oh, absolutely. I was uh, extremely fortunate. Uh, my very first game in Sochi was uh, the the first ever South uh, Korean Unified game. And so we were told as a crew, so there was a, two, two Americans, two Canadians actually on that game. Uh, before we left the, the hotel to go to the rink, uh, you know, the supervisor were like, you guys know why you're on this game. This is, this is a huge game. The world is watching. This is the first, the first, uh, unified Korean game and it's a big deal. And, you know, oh, the, the political bigwigs of South Korea will be there and, you know, really try to make us understand the political significance because really our understanding was really the Olympic significance. How significant is it that you're at the Olympics? Um, and so on our way to the game, which was about two hours before game time, puck drop, uh, we were driving there and there were more or less uh, people that were lining the streets to the rink, uh, chanting, you know, in Korean, we are one, we are unified, waving the unified flag and um, it really wasn't until that moment when we saw all that, that it really hit us that, you know, we were at the Olympics and this is a game that means a lot more than just hockey. Um, and so stepping on the ice for that game, uh, the interesting part is we get to kind of stand there and take it in while the teams come on the ice and skate around. Um, and so at that point, it got a little nerve-wracking um, because not only is it my first Olympic game, but it's also this historic game that's happening. Um, and so the game was, you know, very one-sided, and it was easy to just focus in on the, the game of hockey. Um, and it wasn't until really, like, after the game. Um, as officials, we stay on the ice. We had to stay on the ice till both teams um, got off. 
And we had an opportunity for the four of us to kind of stand there and kind of watch and observe the teams celebrating and, and doing their thing. And to, to one of the linesmen, the other linesmen from Canada, looked over and said, guys, we're at the Olympics. Take it in. Look around. And we really had the opportunity to do that. And to this day, that's still a moment that, you know, brings goosebumps because it just, you know, made you – sit back and say, look, we, we made it. We made it to the Olympics. We are here. We're part of this historic moment. How great is it? And how fortunate are we to be here? Yeah, so like, out know, of I, all my Olympic moments, that game was, was probably right at the top of the list. And that's pretty amazing because like, I'm just thinking off the top of my head. I mean, you think of the game of hockey and the times that it has a lot of like political significance. I mean, like the 1980, you know, U.S. versus Soviet Union game comes to mind, where that was more than a hockey yeah. game. I mean, the the Canadian uh, uh, Soviet Summit Series, another one, and that certainly probably would be right up there with with sort of, you know, the the, the impact that it would have beyond the game of hockey, right? Yeah, absolutely, without a doubt, and and you don't really realize that until it's kind of over. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we didn't realize it till we were there in it that it really had that significance and. Um, you know, just how fortunate we were to be a part of that. Yeah. So, and you know, I wanted to jump over, I guess, to to the to the uh, the hockey career, I guess, the officiating career outside of the Olympics. I mean, yeah. uh, like I mentioned, uh, you know, you worked the North American Hockey League, you worked Division Three men's in in the U.S. I mean, talk us through. I mean, what's what's a regular sort of season look like for you? Like, what? How many games are you working? What sort of levels are you, are you doing over here? Uh, well, I do a variety of levels uh, over the course of the year. Um, I do a lot of Division Three stuff, uh, mostly women's. I, I've gotten my feet wet in a couple of men's games, which has been a lot of fun. Um, like you said, I've done games in the North American Hockey League, which has been quite interesting uh, in the sense that that game is is a lot more aggressive and physical than, than any women's game. Uh, but it's been an, uh, a little bit of a journey. Um, I've had a couple of opportunities to attend what they call the Officiating Development Program full-time camp. So this camp in, in August, the last three summers I've gone, and it's the camp for the officials, the guys that skate full-time in the USHL and the North American League, and also they get some games in the Southern Pro League. And they're, they're really the guys who are trying to make it to the NHL. Their goal is to make officiating a career and We've been really fortunate the last few years. They've invited some women to go to camp and experience that and then have opportunities to skate in the leagues um, during during the season. And so for me, that, that's been an opportunity to try to slowly chip away at that glass ceiling. Um, there's not many women who are, A, willing to do it, um, but, B, have been given the opportunity to skate those leagues. Um, so... During the course of the season, I'll do a few of those those types of games that really push the envelope on, you know, are women officials able to do these games and, and you know, why aren't they able to do the games? Is it, uh, you know, they're not physically able or they're not, they haven't been given the opportunity, we haven't broke that glass ceiling yet? Uh, what is it that's preventing us from, from doing those men's games? And uh, fortunately, there's, there's a lot of really great support out there and, um, so my season's sprinkled in, you know, all my women's games are sprinkled in a few other men's games that, that really make it, uh, games that are a challenge. It's always a challenge to go and skate games that are much faster paced than, uh, than, than the typical ones that you do. Yeah. And you talked about that glass ceiling and I'm sure you get asked this question a lot, but 
<laughs> when do you think we're going to see that first female official in the NHL? Uh, you know, I think we're still a little ways out. Um, we're still just slowly getting into uh, Tier 2 junior hockey, hopefully uh, on a regular basis. So hopefully, you know, very, very soon we'll break that Tier 1 ceiling. And um, same thing on the college side, on the NCAA side. So I'm thinking, with you know, it's not going to be in my skating career, um, but I certainly see it happening. Um uh, you know, we just need to continue continuously every year, just go out there and work hard and, and it'll happen. Um, and I'm hoping it happens sooner rather than later. And uh, <laughs> before we let you go, I, I, we, I'd be remiss if we didn't touch on the fact that, I mean, as busy as you are working all these games and all these different levels, you've also taken on the added responsibility of being the referee in chief for the main amateur hockey association. I mean, are you, aren't you busy enough, Jess? You have to really put on this extra hat as well. Yeah. You know, I'm very fortunate at my real, my real job, my real career that I, I have a little bit of flexibility to take this on. Um, you know, being the referee in chief is, is interesting. It's, it's a way to give back to a program that has given so much to me and means so much to me. So, it's always enjoyable to be able to support the officials that a, a grassroots officials really and, and help them to develop and get better. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's certainly no, no time on the plate to, to add anything else, but it, it, like I said, it's a way to give back and it's, it's really important for me to, to, to support our, our younger officials. Yeah. And I know, I don't know if it's the politically correct thing to say, but most referees in chief, as we know, across uh, across the country or across North America would be older guys. I mean, does the fact that you're a younger woman play a different role? Is does it does it change your outlook at all or what you focus on uh, in, in your role? Uh, you know, I think I uh, I'd like to think that the fact that I'm a female doesn't really change a whole lot. I, I think for me, the thing that makes it a little bit different is that I'm willing to, you know, push the envelope on things. I'm willing to say, you know what, I know we've done things this way for the last 20 years. Let's change things up. Um, and so I, I think that's where my role has has developed and, and uh, I've been able to influence some things is just – you know, we, we all get into this routine and this groove of doing things and it feels comfortable. Uh, and so for me to come in as sort of a, a younger, younger referee in chief, uh, I think I've, I've pushed the envelope a couple times to say, look, like I know we're all comfortable here, but we need to continue to push forward and change and, and evolve. And so I think that part's been, been a lot of fun. And for the people here in Maine, uh, you know, we're a very small state in terms of hockey. We have about 300 uh, USA Hockey certified officials in the state, so that's that's quite small with with hockey numbers. And so, uh, since I've been around for for quite a number of years, the the main amateur hockey folks they all know me, they know who I am, and they know that you know I I'm not going to let the officials get pushed around, and um, that part is is a little bit different. So I'm not going to accept uh, them to say, this is just how we've done things. Mm -hmm. And uh, coming into a, a new season, I'm sure you guys are already, you know, underway and, and, and doing well there. But I mean, 
usually we like to finish off these podcasts just by just asking, you know, what advice I guess you would you would give to the officials going into a new season this year. I'm I'm sure you've you've done plenty of seminars with your with your officials in Maine, but uh, overall, I mean, what message would you like to send to the officials out there going into this season? Well, you know, what I always say is control what you can control. Um, you know, you can't control the fact that you're not getting a certain assignment, uh, a certain uh, assigner doesn't like you, or you don't live in the right place, but you can control how you conduct yourself on and off the ice. You can control if you go to the gym every day. You can control if you're going out and uh, having a good time late at night and you show up to your game exhausted the next day. Um, you can also control the things like how you receive feedback from a supervisor or from any other officials and how you conduct yourself in the locker room. And those are all things that go into being a better official and also being a better uh, person to be around in a hockey rink. And the opportunities will come, but I always tell people you can only control what you can control. And so, you know, those are the things you need to focus on as you go into a new season. Yeah. You can't control what assignments you're going to get and, and or even try to figure out why. And uh, going into uh, the season, for any Mainers that might be listening to the episode, where where can they find out more information about registering to officiate? Uh, they can certainly send me an email. My email address is ric at meaha.com. Perfect. And Jess, we want to thank you again for, for your for your time. And I know you're, you've got about eight different hats that you wear, so we appreciate you taking the time to, to talk with us. And and for, for giving us, you know, you know, the lessons that you've learned along the way, talking about your career and advice. So uh, we certainly appreciate it and uh, best of luck in uh, the season. Great. Thank you so much. It was great talking to you.